0: Hey, let's pray today. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we need more than anything else your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need your presence we need your commands we need your instruction more than anything else God we need your help we don't have the wisdom that we think we have we can't bring the change that we think we can bring none of us knows as much as we like to pretend that we know God we need your help in our hospitals that are filled with sick people we need your help In our schools that are filled with scared people, we need your help. In our communities that are filled with people full of hurt and trying to figure out what's going on and how we're supposed to leave and lead and live our lives, God, we need your help. So Holy Spirit, helper, would you come? And would you teach us? And would you guide us? Would you instruct us? Would you teach us to number our days? To live with the fear of the Lord in our hearts that we would begin to see you high and lifted up. And that would drive our actions and our hearts way more than the news that we watch or anything that we're leaning to. So God, we acknowledge from the start today, everyone that's here, whether Christian or searching, new to our church, been around for a long time, we need your help. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys grab a seat. Welcome to week two of our No Other Gospel series. My name is Caleb. If we haven't met, I wanna take a second and give a special welcome. Um, If you're not familiar with our church, I know a lot of you are, but there's a handful. uh, You're not familiar with our church. One of the cool things about our church is that we have communities of faith, we have campuses in all different kinds of uh, communities across the state of South Carolina. And a lot of those are in communities where we have schools, colleges, universities. And so around this time of the year, we have a lot of college students that either get back involved or for the first time they get involved. And so we just wanna give a big welcome to all of our college students. And we want you to know... Whether it's Clemson or Columbia or Charleston or here in Anderson or wherever, we would love to be and play a large role in your life over your college stretch. We want to help. We want to be a part of seeing uh, God continue to grow you and your relationship with him. And so please, uh, please, you know, come get involved. We'd love to be a part. All right. Uh, We got to get into it. If you're the kind of person that brings your Bible to to church, go ahead and get those open. Galatians chapter two. Um, We got to get into it. We got a lot to cover and not a whole lot of time to get there. Let me explain sort of what we're trying to do in this series. Brad, if you missed it last week, go back and watch Brad's message. This No Other Gospel series, we're trying to do something specific. Um, If you're familiar with the context, Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia is basically, as, as Brad broke it down really well last week, it's his 911 call. He's a state of emergency, right? Like he is calling 911, uh, and that's what this letter is. And so my task today is to help us better understand why Paul needed to call 911. What was the emergency? And for us to kind of break down the context of that emergency and to then ask ourselves the question, are some of the same emergencies in our church today? So let's look at this definition of the gospel that we've been working off of. Turn your eyes to the screen and let's look at this together. Let's read this together. Ready? Let's go. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead so that through faith in him, we can be made right with God and enjoy life with him forever. So we're going to work off this, you know, easy kind of synopsis of the gospel over these next few weeks. So as we do that, as we think about that, as we kind of hold that as an anchor that we'll come back to. Let's read now Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 through 21 and I'm going to prepare you this this little chunk of scripture here is like a It's like a really good meal. Like, you don't just want to eat it once. You want to eat this thing over and over and over and over again. So take this passage this week, because I won't have time to get all the way through it, and let's get into it. So Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, let's read this. When Cephas, that's Peter, when he came to Antioch, Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was, Peter was, eating with the Gentiles, but when those men who came from James, when they came, he drew back and he separated himself because he feared the circumcision party. The rest of the Jews, they acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though you're a Jew, are living like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus, why? In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? I do not, cannot, will not, shall not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is some amazing teaching from Paul, but this is also some very strong correction from Paul to Peter and to the culture of what has happened at the church in Galatia. So in order to help us understand the context of what this is, I need to spend a few minutes explaining to you how they got to the problem that they're in. If you remember, um, back in the story of Jesus's death, burial and resurrection, after he comes back to life, he appears to the disciples and he tells them, go to Jerusalem and wait, I'm gonna send you some help, right, so this is, now, All of Jesus' teachings, all of Jesus' miracles, Jesus' ministry began in a primarily Jewish context. Jesus was a Jew. His early disciples were Jews. Their culture was Jewish. Their families were Jewish. Their teaching was Jewish. Everything about them was Jewish. So they go to Jerusalem after Jesus ascends and goes back to be with the Father. And they're in Jerusalem waiting. If you've read the book of uh, the book of Acts, they're in Jerusalem and they're waiting on this help that Jesus has promised. And in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit comes in, you know, and everybody starts, you know, their tongues of fire and all sort of stuff. Now, here's what's amazing about this: in Jerusalem at the time, there were Jews from all over the world that spoke lots of different languages that were there to practice the feast of Pentecost. They're there to celebrate one of their traditional Jewish customs, and they hear the gospel, they hear the works of God being spoken in their own language by these Galilean, you know, simple, young Jewish disciples, and they go, how can this be? And then Peter, right, this is a big deal, this is huge, this is where the story kind of really gets interesting, and you'll understand the context. Peter stands up, and he gives this sermon to this large, predominantly Jewish crowd, about And walks them through, basically, if you go read Acts chapter 3, the story of God's promises to Israel and the way that Jesus Christ, who died, buried, and was resurrected and ascended, how he was the fulfillment of all of the promises that God has made to Israel. He was the Messiah who came to not do away with, but to fulfill and complete the law that they had been given. And he basically says, Jesus is the guy you're looking for, and you guys just killed him. And they're gutted right and so they're like what do we need to do and he says you need to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ right so these thousands are added that day lots of people are baptized and what do you have you have these jewish men and women who are now believing in Christ and they're trying to figure out how do we practice our life now as Jews in our customs, but we believe that Jesus came to be the fulfillment of this. This is the unique culture happening in Jerusalem. Well, you fast forward several chapters. The church is growing. Miracles are happening. People are coming to faith. They're being baptized. And then something happens, right? Acts chapter 10, Peter, Peter, again, gets this vision from God. This blanket descends on the earth and in this blanket are all the animals that are traditionally unclean to the Jews, right? Shout out to everybody who had bacon this morning or this week or every day of your life, like good people. And you and, you, and he sees these animals come down, right? And basically what God shows and reveals to Peter in this dream is that what God has made clean, no man can call unclean. And he says, rise, Peter, kill and eat, right? And on the, right here on the verge of hunting season, we're like, yes, thank God for this command. And then Peter goes, remember, Peter's Jewish, right? So Peter goes, well, God, I would never do this, right? Like, I don't eat the things that you've deemed unclean. Like, I would never do this. And God says, no, 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 no. Things are changing. I've made it all clean. Don't call it unclean. And Peter's interpretation of this vision okay, is that this gospel that had been advancing and moving primarily in a Jewish context is now gonna be going to all of the Gentiles in all of the world. Now you imagine how and why to Peter this was such a massive deal because he then begins to preach the gospel and the same Holy Spirit that, fu- that fell in Acts chapter two on all of the Jews, it falls now on the Gentiles, which by the way, for me and you, that's really good news. Gentiles, welcome to church this morning. So he sends this report back to Paul and to the the leaders at the church of Jerusalem. They're like, hey guys, heads up, we can't just teach this in the synagogues anymore. We gotta go to the temples. We gotta go into the marketplaces. We gotta start preaching this gospel to everyone because it's not just available for Jews. This now is good news available to the whole world. So then Paul, right, he gets on the, lay hands on him. He gets anointed with the ghost. He he starts heading out to islands all over the Roman world. He's preaching the gospel and he's planting churches, right? This is the origin of the church that's happening in God. Galatia. Okay. So 15 years after that, right? 15, 16, depending on what books you read. Paul hears that Peter, the same Peter, by the way, who preached the gospel to all the Jews who were saved in the book of Acts, the same Peter who received the vision from the Holy Spirit that the gospel was now not just good news for Jews, but good news for Gentiles. That same Peter is now he's backslidden so far in his understanding of what Christ came to do that he's refusing to even eat with Gentiles because there's this group that's come in and they're trying to convince all of these Gentile believers, me and you, okay, that in order to be saved, not only do you need to believe in Christ, you also need to observe the Jewish customs, which means circumcision, right? So if you're an adult Gentile male and you were not circumcised at birth, that meant your entrance into the church. All the things you need to eat and not eat, all the things you can drink and not drink, all the ways that you would practice this. And Paul's going, Peter, how did you mess this up? You're a Jew and you don't even live like one. How are you can trying to convince all these other people that aren't even Jewish to live like them? And he just and he gets right in Peter's face, right? And he's like, dude, you missed the point. So his 911 call trying to fix What Peter has done into the church is is at a really interesting time. Do you wanna know the results of what Peter is doing? It's causing chaos and confusion in the people that are trying to come to Christ in the region of Galatia. Do I need to do this, do I need to not do this? Is it faith in Jesus or is it also circumcision? Do I also need to learn and observe the Torah or can I have bacon for breakfast? Which one is it, Peter, right? Like, and he and Peter, who initially is the one that brings this gospel to the Gentiles, is now, because of the fear of man, afraid of some people that are more Jewish than believer, he's causing chaos and confusion in the church. This is the 911 call. And this is why this series is called No Other Gospel. Because it has been the work of believers, pastors, teachers, those who study, it has been our job for centuries to make sure that we protect the purity of the gospel that we've inherited from our, our, um, our tradition. It all throughout times, there have been ways and spaces where other gospels have snuck into the church. And do you know when other gospels sneak into the church, how you can tell? Because there's chaos and confusion in the church. That's why I offer, I think that now is probably the most prophetic time we could ever be reading the book of Galatians together as a church and going through it. Because there's chaos and confusion in our communities all around us. And we need the gospel of Jesus Christ to come and help us right now and provide the clarity that we need. All right, so now it's time to have a little fun. That's the context of what's happening in the lettering to Galatia. All right, so let's take some of the things that we learned from Paul's encouragement and challenge and correction to Peter and let's bring them into our day and our age and our situation right now and let's ask ourselves some gospel questions, okay? Are you okay if we do this? All right, This is I'm just warning, some of this is gonna be very good stuff to go through. Some of you are gonna come into the conviction of the Holy Spirit in the next 15 minutes. It's the work of God on our lives, on my life, on your life. Do not... Harden your heart if you hear his voice like they did in the rebellion. Okay, here's a question. How do you respond when someone calls you out? Right, one of the, one of the cool results of Paul getting in Peter's face is that Peter doesn't reject his authority. He accepts it, and he works on the way that he's acting and the chaos that it's creating in the church, and the result is, man, the church gets some clarity and the Christian way of life, and the message is it's preserved in the churches in Galatia, right? So Peter, even though he was in the wrong, when he's called out, he does the right thing to it. How do you respond? How do I respond when someone calls me out? I've lived in the South my entire life. A a Gentile of Gentiles, right, or whatever you want to call it. One of the things that is just, that we are just incredibly bad at is responding well when people call us out on stuff. It's true, it's, it's who we are. But let me tell you a simple story, okay, just, just to illustrate this. I started playing golf a few years ago, very seriously, irresponsibly, I played too much golf, but it is what it is. I take my children, right, we do it all the time. My oldest is starting to pick up on the game, not only the swing, not only the rules of it, he's also starting to pick up on the, the banter, right? Good, bad, or ugly, but it's kinda of fun to watch. So the other day we're playing, and I hit a horrible shot. I mean, I just, I put my tee ball up, I top it, you know, it was terrible. And my five-year-old, without even thinking, just goes, God, what a terrible shot. He's five. And I was like, what? it's like, one, I need to watch what I say because he's picking it all up. But two, like, how dare you? You know, I was, and I was frustrated, one, because the shot was horrible. And, and then two, because I'm be called out on it by a five-year-old, right? It's like innate. It's our instinct to hate when we get called out when we're in the wrong. So let's read some of the scriptures from the rest of the New Testament for how us believers, I'm talking to Christians now in the church, how we are to respond to this. Let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. How are we doing here, church? Would we be guilty in a court of law of making every effort this past week to live in unity with our neighbors, to bear with one another patiently? Let's read uh, James chapter 4, verse 6. God gives greater grace. Hallelujah. But he resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. Would the banner over the way that we've conducted ourselves in the last seven days be, golly, look how humble that person is. How about Romans chapter 12, verse 16? God, live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Instead, intentionally choose to make your mind up that you're going to associate with people who are humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Would it be said of the way you've conducted yourself on the Internet this past week? that you are not wise in your own eyes, that you have made the effort to live peaceably with one another? Probably if you're like me, the answer is well, absolutely not, right? So what do you do? What do we do? When we're confronted with this culture that says, maybe we've added some things or taken away some things or changed some things about the gospel, and we get confronted with some instruction, how do you respond? How do I respond when someone calls me out? We are to be, as Christians, in the family of God, in the house of God, right? we are to be very careful with the way that we respond when a brother or a sister speaks to us when we're in error. To make sure that our heart is ready to receive correction, right? Paul says, when I thought like a child, I acted like a child. But then when I grew up, I put away my childish thinking. Do you know what children think when they do something wrong? How do I get away with this? Do you know what adults think? How do I get rid of this? There's this thing in my life and it's not good for me. And a child thinks, how do I get away with this? How do I keep hiding this from people? And a Christian, a mature, growing adult believer says, how do I get rid of this? Cause it's not good for me. And we don't need to just sit around and wait on someone to call us out. We should be setting an example for our culture by actively going after people who will look into us, look into the way that we're living, look into the way that we're conducting ourselves and say, hey, will you keep an eye on me and make sure that I'm kind of, Keeping it together? I'm going to press here for one second, and then I've had my fun, and I'll move on. I know men in this church, you'll change everything about your conduct. The time you get up in the morning, the way you dress, the books you read, so you can be up for a good performance review and a bonus at the end of the year. But you let a man in your Bible study ask you about the way you're talking to your kids or the way you're spending your money, and all of a sudden they're being judgmental. This is is the conviction for me as I'm preparing this. I'm just letting you know. I know women in this church. You'll change the hairy that you wear, the car that you drive, the things that you like to fit in with a friend group, but you let someone at church or someone in your Bible study group ask you about how much you're drinking and all of a sudden they're being judgy? This is us, man. I'm not talking to people outside the church. I know it's not, you know, not my monkeys, not my zoo, Right? But this is us, this is us, this is our church, this is who we are, and I'm saying that the way that we respond when we're called out, when we're in error, it speaks to the fact that we believe the gospel. So let's be on offense going, hey, I am messing this up consistently, can you help me, right? Let's seek the advice of people in the church and ask for their help. Okay, I've had my fun, thanks for entertaining me. All right, let's throw this uh, diagram up there, I wanna show you this. Uh, It says avoid the ditches. Let me show you what you're looking at. In the middle is the road, right? Narrow is the path if you need an illustration. And this road represents the way of life that all of us are trying to live. It is life with God, devotion to God, repentance of sin, right? Worship, joining in a community of faith, trying to get rid of greed and things in our heart. This is, this is the Christian life that we all know to be true and the way that we're walking. Now, on either side are ditches. And these ditches represent one of the themes that's true about all of Paul's letters in the New Testament. And these letters, they they handle the same kind of things, but they're different because the churches were different, the cultures were different, the conduct was different, and so his instructions are a little bit different in each place. But one of the themes is that he's trying to get people back to the middle. One of the ditches, like in Corinth, if you go read the book of Corinthians, the specific issues that Paul is having to fix are quite hilarious Like, if you really get into it, I mean, their conduct is is abhorrent, okay? It's horrible. They're coming up, they're showing up to take communion, and instead of, like, enjoying the fellowship of the believers, the guys are just getting hammered drunk on communion wine, and they're filling their fat, gluttonous bellies with all the bread, and, like, the poor people can't even take communion, because, I mean, it's just, it's brutal, right? It's horrible. They're sleeping around all over the place, and Paul's like... Quit doing all this, right? It's like you should maybe you should be a little bit more Jewish, right? Like that's the thing, okay? And then he and then he comes over here to a place like Galatia where the conduct is they're they they're tempted, their ditch over here is this overly religious zeal where they're they're doing things and saying things, they're confused about things that were never in the gospel in the first place. And Paul's like, just quit quit with all the Jewish stuff, right? Like just, just do the thing and walk down the road. And I find this to be really encouraging because the people that I know, the, the journeys that I go on with believers, these same ditches are there for us. We have what I'm calling a drift bias, okay? For some of you, the way that you were raised, the family you come from, the DNA that you have, whatever it is, Your drift bias is when you get outside of community, when you get outside of fellowship, when you're living not in step with the spirit of God, your drift bias is toward this conduct that's just ridiculous, right? Like you drink way too much, you get super greedy, you're way loose with your words and your conduct just gets out of bounds, right? That's your drift bias. And so Paul in the church, the encouragement is, get over here, you know, get back over here. Some of you, your drift bias is on the other side. And when you start, when you stop walking in step with the Spirit and you get out of fellowship and get out of community and get out of the authority of the Scriptures, what you start doing is you start making it impossible for anybody to get into church because you've added a list of 100 things that were never there. And this is for each of us, right? Like my drift bias is toward... All sort of ridiculous conduct. Like if I didn't have people going, hey, you shouldn't do that. You don't need to do that. You should be paying attention to that. God knows where I would end up, right? This is true for us. So let me ask you a question. What's your drift bias? What are, what are, you, what's, what are you prone to do? Are you prone to, to make it very difficult on people to come to church and to come to Christ because you've taken the gospel and turned it into some ridiculous set of rules that's not in here anywhere? Or are you the other way? And your conduct right now is just not worthy of the life that you've received. Whatever your bias is, would you let the conviction of the spirit and the truth of the gospel, this, 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 the purity of this gospel that we received, would you let it bring you back into communion and fellowship with God? Okay, two questions, and then I wanna show you a video of the best preaching I've ever seen in my life. It's a video of myself. I'm just kidding, that's a stupid joke. Okay. Um, okay, question number one. Have you added anything to the gospel for yourself? Have I added anything to the gospel for myself? Here's how you'll know if you've added anything to the gospel. You're the kind of person that thinks things or says things like this. I just blown it. I messed it up. I've wasted my chance. There's no use. Can't get back on the, on the trail. I just keep letting God down, Whatever. It's easy to tell if you've added things to the gospel because it just, you just have this dark cloud of shame that follows you everywhere. And it's just not from God. And Paul says in, his, in the first chapter of this book, in this letter, he says, man, I wish anybody that came with a different gospel that they would be cursed from God. Make sure that you're not the one preaching the wrong gospel to yourself. Don't add things to the gospel for yourself that aren't there. Give yourself a little bit of grace. So here's the other question. This one I think is is more prevalent to to right now, what's happening in our church and our world and, and where we need to be paying attention to. Have you added anything to the gospel for anybody else? Is it faith in Christ and votes Republican or Democrat? Is it faith in Christ and believes the exact same thing you do about masks or vaccinations or you know, whatever else is happening in the world today. Because my, my just total confession is, as I am reading Galatians chapter two and I'm thinking about Paul opposing Peter for the things that he's done and the way that he is acting, I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit speaking to me, making sure that I remember to not add anything to the gospel that Christ never added to his gospel. In Acts chapter 15, the leaders of the church come to this conclusion that the way that they've been teaching and preaching and expanding the gospel, that they've been doing it wrong, why? Because they have been making it difficult on the Gentiles to come to Christ. Think about it. One of the things we believe is that the spirit of God, who by the way is really good at his job, he's out in the world right now. And what he's doing is he is bringing people under the conviction of their sin, under the conviction of his righteousness, and he's bringing them to faith in Christ. He's doing it right now, he did it yesterday, he's doing it tomorrow, it's one of the things that he does. He's out and he's active, he's doing his job. He's really good at it. So what the church leadership came to the conclusion of was that the Spirit of God is out there doing his job and we're making it hard on them to come to Christ. So let me ask you this, Christians, is God out there doing his job trying to bring an entire new generation of people into the church and we're making it hard on him. And if that's you today, I'm just asking you, would you let the spirit of God, who's great at what he does, would you let him lead you and grow you and change you? All right, let's read this gospel definition one more time. The gospel is the good news. We're talking about not adding anything to it, not taking anything away from it, not adding anything to to it for ourselves or for anyone else. It's the good news that Jesus died for your sins and my sins and he rose from the dead so that through faith in him we can be made right with God and enjoy life with him forever. Let me show you a video of some unbelievable preaching that basically wraps all of this up in two minutes and the guy has a Scottish accent so you'll definitely enjoy it, all right? So you guys check this out, this video kind of speaks
1: for itself. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answers in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. and oh, What an immense, I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend, you have never been in a Bible study, you never got baptized you never, you didn't know a thing about church membership and and yet and yet you made it you made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said you know like what are you doing here well I don't know what, what do you mean you don't know well like because I don't know well, you know we, uh, uh, did Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor, Ranger. So we're just a few questions for you. First of all, are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the Guy said, I never heard of it in my life. And and what about? Uh, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, "On on what basis are you here?" And he said the man on the middle cross said i can come now now that's the that is the only answer that is the only answer
0: the man on the middle cross said we could come And that's the gospel that we have to work together to remember. And you get it wrong sometimes, and so do I. And we need each other and the correction of the scripture and the conviction of the spirit to make sure that the gospel keeps moving forward. So let me ask you a question today. Have you added anything to the gospel For yourself besides the truth that the man on the middle cross said you could come? If so, today, if you find yourself weighed down with burden after burden after burden, in a couple of minutes when we sing this song, my encouragement to you is to come get on your face at the altar and take those burdens off of you and remember the truth about the gospel, that it's that simple man on the cross, that you could come. Have you added anything to the gospel for anybody else? You've put expectations or burdens on somebody that God never put on them. Today, your repentance and response to God is that you come down to the altar or in the aisle or sit in your seat and you repent of that and you change your mind you ask the Holy Spirit to help you. And some of you may be here today and you realize that you've never even believed in this gospel and you maybe were taught and handed down a gospel that was all based on the works that you did to get to God, as clean as you could dress it up and you never knew that salvation was by grace through faith and today your response when we sing this song and pray, is to come down to the front to the altar and you pray and you ask God to forgive you of your sins in Christ. You receive his forgiveness. You find one of our volunteers and you ask them if they can pray for you and to help you take steps to grow in your your real relationship with God. But for all of us today, as we get ready to respond, let's remember the beauty of the simplicity of the message that we've received that the man on the middle cross said we could come. So let's stand and I'm gonna pray for us as we go into some response time. Father, it's never, it's never not surprising to look at the generosity that you have toward the world and not just be blown away. We repent today, Father, corporately as a church, as the church, as your body, individually, as people trying to walk in step with the Spirit, where we have added to the simplicity of your message, God, we're sorry and we want to change our minds. We want to have the eyes to see the size of your heart towards sinners We want to conduct ourselves in a way that brings people into, not forces them out of the kingdom of God. We want to be a city set on a hill. And in order to be there, God, we understand that we need to be at the core of our being completely confident in the righteousness that comes in Christ alone. So, God, over these next few minutes, Holy Spirit, would you come and speak loud and clear to all of us who need to respond, to those of us who have been walking in a way that needs change? Would you help us? To those who are on the brink of salvation today, Holy Spirit, would you encourage them to move in these next few minutes, to bring them to saving faith? God, we bless you. We love singing and worshiping you in Jesus' name.